This podcast is made for educational purposes only. Please consult current references before providing any advice to your patients. There are two main types of IBD, inflammatory bowel disease, ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease. In some cases, the patients will have features of both ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease. This is called unclassified IBD. Today, we will have a look at Crohn's disease and pharmacological treatment options available from a community pharmacy here in Australia. In Crohn's disease, the inflammation can be located in any part of the GI tract, from the mouth to the anus, although the majority of cases present with ileitis, inflammation of the ileum, or colitis, inflammation in the large bowel, or both ileocolitis. We often see rectal sparing in Crohn's disease. Inflammation of the gut wall can extend to the entire thickness of the gut wall. It is characterized by patchy segmental lesions and leads to thickened gut wall with potential to form fistulas and abscesses. Symptoms of Crohn's disease vary. Some patients may experience severe symptoms with abdominal pain, weight loss, fistula formation, diarrhea, and some patients may have very mild symptoms leading to delayed diagnosis. This can result in chronic inflammation leading to the development of the strictures and fibrotic tissues causing intestinal obstruction. Patients suffering from Crohn's disease may also present with symptoms affecting other body parts and systems such as skin, eyes and joints and may suffer from chronic fatigue, osteoporosis, lung disease and many more. Crohn's disease is a chronic condition with relapses and remissions. In patients presenting with acute symptoms, we want to use quicker acting medications to induce the remission. Then a different approach exists for the maintenance of the remission. There are various classifications of Crohn's disease, but generally speaking, our patients will present with mild, moderate or severe Crohn's disease. The severity of the condition and the location will guide the choice of the treatment. To induce remission in mild to moderate Crohn's disease, we use corticosteroids. This drug class should be used for induction of remission only and then cyst. Corticosteroids are not used for maintenance of the remission. In isolated rectal and rectosigmoidal Crohn's disease, rectal corticosteroid preparations can be used. For example, prednisolone, pretzol suppositories and pretzol retention enema. Enema is normally administered at night time and suppositories can be used twice a day until we see clinical improvement. Patients with ileal or ileocolonic disease will benefit from the use of budesonide modified release capsules. Due to high first-pass metabolism, budesonide has poor oral bioavailability. Once the capsules dissolve in the ileum, the drug has mostly topical anti-inflammatory effect in the ileum and proximal colon with minimal systemic adverse reactions. Entacort 3 mg modified release enteric coated capsules are available under PBS. Budenofalc also 3 mg modified release enteric coated capsules are not funded under PBS. Either brand can be given at the dose of 3 capsules or 9 mg in the morning once daily for 4 to 8 weeks, then gradually taper it by 3 mg every couple of weeks. Total duration of the treatment is about 8 weeks and should not exceed 12 weeks. Budenafalc 
capsules can be opened and taken in a glass of water if a patient has swallowing difficulties. If corticosteroids can't be used, 5-aminosalicylates can be prescribed for iliocolonic disease, although their efficacy in Crohn's disease is questionable. Mesalazine is the preferred option for ileal or iliocolonic disease as it doesn't require colonic bacteria to activate the drug. In diffuse colitis or left-sided Crohn's disease, prednisolone or prednisone are used orally in a dose of 40 to 50 mg a day with the target to cease the intake within 8 to 12 weeks. The induction therapy in patients with severe Crohn's disease mostly managed during hospital admissions. Parenteral corticosteroids, hydrocortisone or methylprednisolone are normally used for up to a week. Once the severity of the disease declines, the patient is switched to oral corticosteroids using the same approach as for mild to moderate Crohn's disease. If corticosteroids are not tolerated or if there is no response, other treatment options are tried. Thiopurines, other thiopurine or mercaptopurine, are considered the next appropriate choice. Azathioprine is a pro-drug of mercaptopurine. Azathioprine tablets are better tolerated if taken with a meal. Mercaptopurine tablets are best taken on an empty stomach, but it might be better tolerated if taken with food. The liquid, mercaptopurine, is also available, but it has slightly different bioavailability compared to tablets. Patients would require close monitoring when switching the dosage forms. Dosing of both drugs is calculated based on the patient's weight. On average, an adult will be on around 50 mg a day of either thiopurine. There are a few precautions to consider when dispensing thiopurines. There were some reports of malignancy, lymphoma and skin cancer associated with the intake of these medications. Gout treatment with allopurinol or febuxostat may significantly increase the concentration of thiopurines and therefore increase the possibility of severe thiopurine toxicity. The side effects include myelosuppression leading to leukopenia, thrombocytopenia and anemia, infections, GI upset and mouth ulcers, and hair loss. Hypersensitivity syndrome is less common but could be life-threatening. Just to remind you, thiopurines are metabolized into inactive metabolites with the help of an enzyme called thiopurine methyltransferase TPMT. Patients with high activity of this enzyme will metabolize these medications too fast and it may lead to the treatment failure. Allopurinol is sometimes added to increase the concentration of a thiopurine. Some patients may have negligible activity of this enzyme, meaning they will have very high levels of active metabolites. This may cause severe myelosuppression and increase the risk of other adverse effects. Those patients may benefit from using a different medication or get the dose of a thiopurine reduced to one-tenth of normal or even less. The activity of the TPMT enzyme can be measured by a pathology lab. Methotrexate can be another option and a preferred treatment choice in patients with Crohn's disease presenting with associated arthropathies. It may be administered as parenteral injection 
during the induction remission once a week, then continued as an oral dose in a range from 15 to 25 mg once a week. Make sure your patient takes folic acid supplement 5 to 10 mg a week, not on the same day as methotrexate. It may take 3 to 6 months for a thiopurine or 2 to 3 months for methotrexate to develop their effect. So they are often started together with a corticosteroid as a bridge therapy. If after 3 months there is no response, biological treatment option can be offered. Let's have a look at biological therapy available in Australia. Tumor necrosis factor TNF-alpha inhibitors inhibit the production of pro-inflammatory cytokine TNF. Be aware that this class is contraindicated in class 3 and 4 heart failure, active infection, tuberculosis, demyelinating conditions and active lymphoma. Patients can access two representatives of this class under PBS, infliximab and adalimumab. Adalimumab, Humira and biosimilars is given as a subcutaneous injection and we do see it frequently in the community. It is normally started at a higher dose based on weight and age for the first two weeks, then continued at a dose of 40 mg every two weeks if there is a clinical response. Infliximab is administered by IV infusion so it is unlikely many of us will see it in a community pharmacy. Patients prescribed the TNF inhibitor should have regular full blood counts and liver function tests, skin checks and monitored for any signs of infection. Often we see combinations of TNF inhibitors with a thiopurine or methotrexate in severe disease to reduce the risk of anti-drug antibodies and therefore a treatment failure. A gut-specific integrin inhibitor, vedalizumab, Antivio is administered by an IV infusion in hospital settings for induction of remission. It may continue as a subcutaneous injection every two weeks. It is offered to patients with contraindications to TNF inhibitors or those who failed treatment with other immunomodulators. It is a gut-specific immunosuppressant and the risk of gut infections but not systemic infections, may be increased. Ustekinumab Stilara is a frequently seen treatment option in the community pharmacy. Ustekinumab is a monoclonal antibody that inhibits cytokines interleukin 12 and 23. Patients will receive the first dose as an IV infusion, then continue with subcutaneous injections, normally at a dose of 90 mg every 8 to 12 weeks. Infections and nasopharyngitis are common adverse effects. Keep in mind that all immunomodulators, including biologicals, increase the risk of infection. Very important considerations are reactivation of tuberculosis and hepatitis B infection. It is also important that those patients are not administered any live vaccines, such as measles, mumps, rubella, varicella and live zoster vaccine, oral typhoid, oral rotavirus and oral poliomyelitis, Japanese encephalitis and BCG. Patients with Crohn's disease may suffer symptoms of involvement of other parts of GI tract. Oral ulcers can be treated with the topical corticosteroid, for example, triamcinolone or Kenalog. 
Patients with mild gastroduodenal disease can be trialed on PPIs, histamine-2 receptor antagonists, and sacralphate. Corticosteroids can be added in severe disease. 5-amino salicylic acids, mesalazine, is prescribed off-label for gastroduodenal disease as well. Mesalazine granules are really starting from duodenum and theoretically may be effective, however, there is no proven evidence to support its use at this stage. Perianal disease often resolves without an intervention. Antibiotics, metronidazole and ciprofloxacin and immunomodulators can be used in severe cases. Now let's look at the maintenance therapy. Once again, corticosteroids should not be used for maintenance therapy. In cases of mild or moderate disease, once the steroids are seized, some patients might be just monitored. If a patient is unable to stop corticosteroids or relapses are frequent, we proceed to maintenance therapy. Immunomodulators are recommended as the first choice treatment option. For example, azathioprine or mercaptopurine with the same dose as per induction of remission. If thiopurines are not tolerated, then methotrexate can be considered. If all of those medications are not tolerated, not effective or unsuitable, then biologicals could be an option. In severe disease, we normally continue with the same immunomodulator, including biological therapy, that helped to achieve the remission. Generally speaking, globally, biological therapy is considered to be more effective and some international guidelines prefer biological therapy over thiopurines or methotrexate. However, the cost and adverse effects must be taken into account. Australian guidelines recommend lifelong treatment with medications effective to maintain the remission. Globally, we see different approaches with some societies recommending a trial of withdrawal of therapy after one or two years of remission under specialist supervision in mild to moderate Crohn's disease. A few other biologicals were approved internationally but not in Australia yet for the use in Crohn's disease. Rizankizumab, a monoclonal antibody to interleukin-23, used in Australia for psoriasis. Natalizumab anti-integrin monoclonal antibody approved by TGA for MS only at this stage. Even though antibiotics don't have a role in the majority of cases of Crohn's disease, a specialist may consider prescribing either metronidazole or ciprofloxacin for some cases of perianal fissures or fistulizing disease. Antibiotics may be used together with immunomodulators and continued as a long-term treatment. The use of antidiarrheal medications is debatable. In Australia, the recommendation is to avoid its use in severe IBD as it may promote a potentially life-threatening complication, toxic megacolon. Internationally, we see that lopiramide is prescribed in mild, uncomplicated Crohn's disease. According to up-to-date, small doses of lopiramide, 2 to 4 mg after an episode of a loose stool, can be used on occasions in mild disease. Some patients develop bile salt diarrhea after surgical resections. They may benefit from the treatment with cholesteramine for symptom control. Thank you for listening. Stay up to date with Farmtastic 4.